The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present Savor 2015, an American craft beer and food experience from Washington, D.C. This salon was from Saturday, June 6th. Grain and Grape Fermentations, presented by Sam Calagione, Dogfish Head Craft Brewery, and Dan Kopman, Schlafly Beer. This is the room for grape and grain. My name's Steve Broad, and I'm brewmaster for Free State Brewing Company in Lawrence, Kansas, and I'll be your host and introducer this evening. Savor is now in its eighth year and well-established as one of America's premier beer and food events, and it's brought to you by the Brewers Association, the national nonprofit trade association representing the country's small and independent craft brewers. I serve on the board of directors of the Brewers Association and also as chair of the events committee, which assists in the production of Savor and the Great American Beer Festival, another one of America's premier beer events, coming up in late September in Denver, Colorado. The Brewers Association also publishes craftbeer.com, which is your best source for information about these events and about the wider world of craft beer. As we move through the evening, please wait to enjoy each beer until it's introduced by our speakers. And if you miss something that one of our speakers says tonight, all of our Savor salons are being recorded for podcast and posterity by craftbeerradio.com, giving you the opportunity to hear it all again. And also because of that, if you have questions as we go along, put up your hand. I'll be wandering around with a microphone. We'd like to get your questions as well as their answers uh, on the recordings. Uh, Fermented beverages using grapes and grain have a long, long history and go back a long ways. They are seeing a bit of a resurgence, and here to talk to us about that tonight are our two speakers for the evening. Uh, Sam Calagione, founder of Dogfish Head uh, Craft Brewery in Delaware, um, a absolute fiend about historical beer styles. Uh, and Dan Kopman from the Schlafly Brewery in St. Louis, Missouri, one of the pioneers of Missouri brewing uh, for many years, the own, uh, standing alone as the other brewery in St. Louis, <laughs> now joined with a little extra company. But please join me in welcoming our guests. I don't know if our, our, our mic's on, that we don't have to reach into these. Good. Doesn't Steve have, like, a great, like, NPR voice? Wouldn't he? Yeah. He'd be great on, like, Prairie Home Companion, wouldn't he? Yeah. Thank you, Steve, for the kind welcome. Uh, thank you, Laura. We know you're running around like crazy. Uh, Jocelyn, who's got the important job of refilling our glasses up here tonight. Uh, and the BA uh, for putting this on. Thanks to Matt from Spiegelau, who uh, donated some glasses. And by the way, the, 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 the dogfish and schlafly glasses are yours uh, to take home at, at the end of this uh, event as a gift uh, from, from our breweries. Um, and we've got breadsticks for you uh, to have in between just to clean your palate as you're trying the different beers. And, and like Steve said, uh, if the questions are relevant to the beer that we're talking about and serving at that time, feel free to put your hand up. So instead of doing Q at the Q and A at the end, we'd rather have the discussion about each beer as you guys are enjoying them. Uh, so that's kind of the housekeeping uh, component of, uh, of of what we're talking about. Um, maybe do you want to talk about your earliest? 
work right. with grapes, and then I'll talk a little bit about ours as well, Dan. Yep. So uh, many of you uh, may not believe this, but uh, the area just west of St. Louis is uh, was. Uh, at one point, uh, the largest wine uh, grape producing region in the United States, um, along with upstate New York, long before California was uh, discovered, essentially. So there's always been, a, a, especially in the late 1860s, um, the wine growing region um, just west of St. Louis along the Missouri River Valley um, uh, became a, a very large uh, vineyard region. Um, mostly uh, French hybrid grape varieties, um, two really well, uh, two well-known red wine grape varieties. Uh, Norton's probably the best known grape. Um, and then the grape that was used in this uh, fermentation is Chamberson, which is a French hybrid um, grape um, that was uh, developed by a Frenchman named Seval um, in uh, the early uh, 20th century. Um, and it, it grows well, um, not only in, in, in Missouri, but I think it's also grown um, here in, or in Virginia. Um, on the white side, um, Seval Blanc, Vidal Blanc, they, and um, Vignoles are grape varieties similar to Sauvignon Blanc. So those are, prim those are the primary grape varieties. And for years we have worked uh, sort of on a friendly basis, had, had fun is the only way to really describe it, with um, a number of the wineries. Um, w this one, this beer uh, was produced with Chandler Hill, um, which is a winery just west of St. Louis. So during harvest, uh, we went out and uh, filled up a, uh, put a, put a tank in the back of a pickup truck and went out and uh, during, during crush, um, filled up uh, a tank full of, uh, of Chamberson um, great must. Um, so, but we've done a lot of these in the past, but in very, very small amounts. We've never commercialized one of these beers. Um, and in fact, this beer, we've only made 150 cases um, of this beer. Um, so we're still trying to figure out how to commercialize these. Um, people in St. Louis are a little wary. We sell about 70% of everything we produce in St. Louis. And people in St. Louis, you know, they, they know wine and they know beer, but they may not be as adventurous with the whole idea of, oh, we're going to put them together. Um, and over the years, we've, we've had to sort of get people to try these and, and, and they get comfortable with different things we've done, whether it's ciders um, using some grain or, or meads using some grain. Um, but we've done a lot of mixed fermentation work over the years. So do you want to... I guess about? I'll talk a little bit about our earliest history with... Uh, with uh, with grapes, and then maybe we'll go back to you talking about the beer and taking sure. questions about this beer. Uh, so we opened '95 as the smallest commercial brewery in the company or in the country in that era, brewing on a Sabco yielding about 10 or 12 gallons per batch. Uh, and our whole premise—I knew I wouldn't have a lot of money as a 24-year-old guy starting the brewery. So my our whole premise for our business was looking at the first generation craft breweries that were super awesome and bigger than we were uh, and seeing that they were great at, at but mostly uh, building businesses uh, referencing modern beer styles. So Sam Adams, German Lager, Sierra Nevada, 
English ales. So we said, hey, we're never going to be able to compete with these guys, and we love them. We'd rather not compete with them. So let's try and find our own little niche in the craft brewing world, and let's. And I decide that niche should be to be the first brewery focused on looking at the entire culinary landscape for ingredients as potential uh, beer ingredients. And we came out with beers like Chicory Stout in 95, sort of the first breakfast stout, uh, Indian Brown Ale, April Hop, Raison d'Etre. Uh, and I would bring these to festivals in the mid-90s, and other brewers and some fellow beer geeks would be like, hey, asshole, you're being really, you're being really uh, rude and uh, disrespectful to the tradition of brewing by putting raisins and coffee in your beer. And that's what got me researching older beer styles. And so when people say, you know, being rude to tradition, whether consciously or not, they're mostly referencing the Rheinheitsgebot, the Bavarian beer Purity Act of, that's only 500. It's a, I say it's a relatively modern form of art censorship. It's 500 years old in, in 10,000 years of brewing history. So I started looking back in time before the Rheinheitsgebot, and it's really amazing to see that many cultures in every corner of the world was defining beer as whatever is beautiful that grows under the ground I live on and produces fermentable sugars. And as we started to work with molecular archaeologists and historians in different regions of the world, it's amazing how many of these ancient beverages that we have uh, you know, physical evidence of, residue found in tombs, show that they were mixed hybrid beverages. Very rarely do we find something that's a pure grain, grape, honey sourced beverage. So beer wine hybrids, the one you'll have at the end of this, is the oldest known you know, fermented beverage in the history of mankind and has grapes, rice, uh, and, and honey in it. Um, so it's wonderful to see this. It's not a revolution of beer wine hybrids. It's a renaissance of beer wine hybrids. And we're, we're proud uh, that we've been doing that, doing beer wine hybrids for about 18 years at our, our brewery. Um, with that, I'll turn it back over to Dan about the, the first one, which is right. beautiful. I had a, a, a bottle out there. <laughs> so um, I didn't realize I had almost uh, 1% of your entire production. Yeah, no, uh... <laughs> It's, uh, it's nice. It's not unusual for Sam to drink most of our. Uh, but it. So when you when you think about you know when you're, for us it's it's the experience of sitting at a winery. A lot of folks who live in St. Louis will travel out to the wineries in the fall, and you, you're sitting on a bluff overlooking the Missouri River, and you're um, you're drinking a nice sort of bottle of wine, and 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 you're thinking, wow, I'd really like a beer. Um, at this moment, um, as most of you, I mean, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of a lot of you are are, are, are wine consumers as well, and, and and we all recognize that the most of the wine business is pretty much smoke and mirrors, right? Um, it's a lot of big words, and and it, it's really, you know, it's there's an agricultural component. There's a lot of work in fields done to to make sure that the grapes grow a certain way and then obviously tending to them and deciding when to harvest them. There's a big debate now as to whether you should pick grapes early when the sugar content's not as high or pick grapes later when the sugar content's much higher. Um, so in, in, in this case, we sort of just sat down with a winemaker and said, you know, it would be really fun to, um, to make a, a, a farmhouse-style beer but have 20, 30, 40% of the fermentation um, come from one of the grapes. And, and honestly, the Chamberson was chosen because that was the grape that was being harvested the following week. So this was Saturday afternoon, 
And it's, what are, you, what are we picking next week? And it's like, I think we're picking Chamberson next week. So it's like, all right, we're making Chamberson Saison. So it was as simple as that. There, there wasn't a, you know, a lot of, um, a lot more than that. And, and there isn't a lot more to it than just very simple approach to saying, okay, we want to make a farmhouse-style beer. Um, but in addition to, say, maybe aging that beer in a wine barrel, and there's lots of that going on, because there's wine barrels available. There was, years ago, there was a lot of spirit barrel aging. Now it's very hard for brewers to get a hold of spirit barrels. Um, the bourbon industry you know, uses them once, and the Scotch, Scotch whiskey industry wants every barrel they can get their hands on. And so there's less barrels available for brewers today. So wine barrels have become much more popular. Well, why not add you know, grape or grape must to that fermentation? So again, we, and we knew that this is a very, this, this grape is used primarily to make sweet reds. The Norton grape is used in Missouri to make dry reds. So we knew we were going to have a big, fruity, lot of high, very high sugar content grape. And so high bricks. So we, were, we, we knew we'd have that big jammy nose up front. So when you, when you put, I mean, it's, it's like, is this wine? What am I, is this just grape juice I'm about to drink? You know, am I walking down the giant food aisle and buying a thing of grape juice? So it's got that jammy nose. But what we hoped would happen and what sort of has happened is that, you know, we used a, a, a farmhouse base beer, you know, combination of barley, malt, barley uh, wheat malt and unmalted wheat. Um, really minimal hopping, you know, kind of just waving some very low alpha uh, European hops over the kettle for, you know, a few seconds, kind of throwing a few in and throwing a few on the floor. And, and, and then, you know, straightforward fermentation, but allowed the, t- you know, added a combination of two Saison yeast strains. One, the DuPont yeast strain, which tends to be very finicky, and another one, a commercial Saison farmhouse strain that a lot of American breweries use that tends to work like a rocket, which is in a brewery, you just, you want to get you want the yeast to eat the sugar. That's the whole deal. So we used a combination of those two. Fermentation, we allowed the temperature to rise up, um, pretty warm, 70s. Um, and then um, and, you know, the must just, just disappeared. The sugar just kind of went. It was great. And then um, we were able to get enough Chamberson barrels, the, 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 uh, the wine barrels that the previous vintage, the 2013 vintage of, of this winery Chamberson had been fermented in, got those barrels. So once the primary fermentation was done, took the combination of the two fermentations, put them in barrel, and aged it for about four to five months in a cellar that's about 65 um, degrees. So you end up with very jammy, fruity up front, um, but then like a lot of Saisons, it just dries out. And it kind of worked. So the idea now is to figure out how to like market something like this guy does really well and, uh, and, um, and probably make a, a, a lot more of it in the future. And you sell it in 750 mil wine? Right now, just, just in 750 mil bottles and just at the, it, it, it's sold. We, we put out about 2,000 bottles um, and sold them all at the brewery and saved some for this event. So these are the only people outside of St. Louis trying this? Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. That's that's not marketing, Dan. That's marketing. That's marketing. <laughs> Are there any questions? It's about uh, 
What, what, why, why'd you name it what you name it? Oh, okay, so this is the federal government at work. So um, for those of you who are familiar with Schlafly, um, we tend to be very, you know, we're 24 years old. Um, so myself and Tom Schlafly founded the brewery. I came back, I was working, I'm from St. Louis, but I was working for Young's Brewery in London and um, came back to St. Louis to start the brewery. And so we're a very, at our core, a very traditional brewer. I mean, I learned from a, a brewer at Young's who had been the head brewer at Young's since the 50s um, when I worked for him in the 80s. Um, you know, we made Young's Special and Young's Bitter, and that was it. And we made Winter Warmer in the winter. Um, and so very traditional approach to brewing. Um, sort of like, I would describe the training I had as like a sort of classically trained French chef, you know, you make an omelet, then you can move on to the next thing. Uh, and that's kind of how we operate the brewery. So most, some of you will know us for some of these very classic styles. But it's just Schlafly and the style. We've never used um, fanciful names, what the federal government calls a fanciful name. Um, and this beer was going to be called Chambers and Cezanne. So we submitted it to the, for label approval to the federal government as Chambers and Cezanne. And it... it went through the first step, this formula process, and then it got to the second step, which is sort of right before you're going to print the labels. So this label was originally designed to just say Chambers and Saison, and we got a phone call saying you can't call it that. And the reason is, is because Chamberson is a wine type, and the, they said that that would be too confusing. <laughs> that, it, that people would think they're buying a bottle of Chamberson. And I said, no, they're buying a bottle of Chamberson Saison. No, no, they'll think they're buying a bottle of Chamberson. Well, you, as many of you know, you just don't win those arguments. The irony is the guy we deal with for that, I don't yeah. know if it's the same you Same guy, guy yeah. He, he his just, name is Battle. Battle, Battle Martin. The guy, the guy, his name yeah. is Battle. And he's actually wonderful, and he recently retired, and he has single-handedly sort of helped the craft beer business develop in the United States because prior to all these breweries, you know, they, he might process a few hundred labels a year. Recently, he's been processing 10,000 labels a year. Um, and you'd get approvals from Battle at like 2 in the morning. Okay, we're tired. You know, it'd be like, you're, you know, you're, you forgot to turn your phone off and it goes ding and it's Battle sending you a note saying, hey, I approved this one, asshole, you know. I stayed up all night. You know? <laughs> and so, but... I picture but, him like pacing his house. Yeah, like, he's just... I don't like, know. Should I approve this one? Oh, uh, shit. Yeah. Three hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, how much hell do I want to put this guy through today? But, uh, so I said, okay. So, in, in fact, um, we were uh, driving that lovely drive between um, St. Louis and Memphis uh, at the time that I got this email. And so, I'm like, we've never used a fanciful name. But I had been in Australia two weeks before for Hop Harvest because they do their hop harvest in March, and we're, we're, I'm sort of a big fan of the hops they grow in Australia. And uh, so I'd been on a, uh, one of the days we went to a winery, and um, they, in, in Australia, the trellis that grapes are grown on is called a lazy ballerina. And so that, that's where the name comes from. So it was like... Um, so we'll Destiny. Destiny, yeah. So that's the name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve's got a qu question oh, that he's got a mic for. Back okay. There. Yeah, I've got a quick question for you. When when you were um, adding your um, your uh, uh, grape juice, yep. Did you boil it before you put it in, or did you go in cold with whatever was in it? No. So, um, 
That would be far too hard for wineries. You know, it'd be much too difficult for them to put in any equipment to to sterilize uh, the must. So what they do is on, on almost all vineyards is they sulfite. So they add sulfites to knock down any wild yeast or bacteria that come in on the skins. And so the the grape must that was used to make this version of Lazy Ballerina was sulfited. So that so there's still traces of wild yeast and bacteria. Um, Brett, um, different Brett yeast strains, and then also some lacto. But uh, essentially, it was all that that those two saison yeast strains really took over. Okay, so I'm guessing you had fun with the uh, government on the uh, sulfite addition too, right? Um, no, it, because it's only 20%, um, we measured it, so we're below the threshold that we would need for, to put on the label. But that's where that comes from when it says contain sulfites. They're not adding that at the back end after wine production. That's, the sulfites are primarily added at, at, at harvest. Yep. I try to do this without the microphone. Okay. Um, Here comes your mic. Oh. It's coming anyway. Um, this is, um, you know, this is so much like, you know, drinking a Flemish, you know, red, brown or something, just in terms of how it feels and the experience. And you're talking about some of the same yeast. And um, is this, do you see this becoming a beer style? Or do you see this being something that is, you know, we're making this one, we're making this yeah. one, we're making this one, and a, a, more of a yeah. kind of a one-off thing? I, I think hybrid fermentations... Uh, are, to me, they're not beer. Okay, so for me to, to square it because of my sort of very classical training, beer is to, to Sam's earlier point. Beer, well, not no, because I train in an English brewer, so you know we do use other things. Sugar, basically, we're we're happy to dump in lots of sugar and and um, molasses and other things. But generally speaking, grain, hops, water, yeast—that's beer. And any time, to me, you're using another ingredient. The way to approach the production of that beer is not to think of it as beer. I think that's when brewers actually run into trouble. Um, I think the best case in, of, of that is pumpkin ales. Um, when I first tried pumpkin ales, I was like amber ales with spice. It was like so they made an amber ale and they spiced it and it tasted like bad spiced amber ale. Why, like why ruin a perfectly good pale ale? with cinnamon, nutmeg, and clove. Um, whereas if you think about making pumpkin ale and you say, okay, I'm going to take pumpkin pie, liquefy it, and ferment it, that's a lot easier. And so you're, you're then going to be led to very different ingredients. So if you make beer and then put spi- add spice to it to think I'm going to make a pumpkin ale, you're actually just making a spiced pale ale, which is not really... Pumpkin ale. It's kind of an insult to... The pumpkin. I think, it, yeah. frankly, I think it's racist. Yeah. Against pumpkins. It's against pumpkins, yes. Yes. Sort of insulting to the yes. pumpkins. We and do our pumpkin ale with, with uh, pumpkin meat and right. al- always have. But right. some, of them, some of them even have warmth in it, which is uh, pumpkin, artificial pumpkin spice. Right. Which is, I wouldn't. Uh, so I, th- I think if you approach these things and say, okay, I'm not, I'm not making. I mean, this is a, yes, it's a farmhouse ale, but I think because of the nature of making farmhouse ales and that the idea of using grape must in a farmhouse ale is sort of, that sounds, that, that kind of, from a practical brewing sense, sort of, that's okay. That'll work. 
you got to so you throw it in and see what happens. I mean, a lot of this is just experimentation. Let's just see what happens. I mean, it's, we were quite prepared to sort of send it straight down to Memphis and not on the road. You know, we were, you know, you got to be, you know, when you're making some of these things, you got to be prepared to just hit the drain with I it. I get that. Uh, yes. Thanks. So when you're brewing it, would you treat it just like a sugar? Like, say, if you were going to put maple syrup or yeah. honey or something like that, you're like, oh, I'll put something variety. That's how, in terms of when you're brewing it, how you would sort of, how one would treat it. So, yeah. So, I mean, all of these, all the grape must is added at fermentation. We're not even going, we're not, it's not even touching the brew house. Yeah, the, 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 the grape must was added straight to the fermenter. Um, and, and for the majority of fruits that we use, and, and we've started to use a lot of different, different fruits in beers that we're making, everything is straight to the fermenter. So we're, you know, we're, we're, we're working with our suppliers to get fruit in that's been aseptically filled so that it's not full of wild yeast or bacteria going in. So sh- go ahead, sh- and then we'll jump to the yeah, next beer because I know you're almost half hour, half hour. Go ahead. When you guys are, are brewing these styles of beers, um, when it comes time to brew and you know, your hop schedule and things like that, is that written down beforehand, or are you guys kind of shooting from the hip and maybe making notes about it so you can reproduce it down the line? A little <laughs> bit of both. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I want to hear this response yeah. first. <laughs> I, I used to shoot for the hip, from the hip more, uh, and still my favorite days of work when I, is when I go to the pub and brew on our two-barrel system with four-barrel fermenters. I don't know how to run our 100 and 200-barrel brew houses. I'm proud to say I'm the least technically, academically capable brewer at our company, but I still am usually the one that does the first shot at a recipe on the two-barrel. And after 20 years, I've gotten better about making sure. Basically, I do a one-paragraph brain dump to our brewmaster, Tim Hahn, before I even go brew the two-barrel and say, this is what I'm thinking, IBUs, ABV, sources of the different ingredients. And then we vet them uh, to make sure they're commercially available mm-hmm. and that they're legal to, to use in this country because I've had issues with that before. Um, uh, and so I've become more practical, uh, but again, I, I brew at least once a month there, uh, not even with the no, with the, with the understanding that maybe only one, two, or three of what I brew once a month comes to national distribution the next year. But I do try and be more thoughtful about even that first recipe than I was five years ago. It's similar. It's the same. Yeah. All right, should we do the second beer? You guys all have uh, 61, Steve? Or? Oh, yeah. So uh, if, if you, if you want to clear your palate a bit between the beers, uh, you've got uh, a wonderful gourmet uh, <laughs> breadsticks that Katie got for us. She said she bought Wegmans out of these. Uh, so uh, clear your palate with that one, uh, certainly in the grain family. Uh, so the beer you're having now, uh, you know, we, 
it's ironic that we, we founded our brewery under the premise of let's look at the entire culinary world for potential beer ingredients. Let's not genuflect towards Europe for traditional beer styles. And yet over 80% of what Dogfish produces today is generally in the IPA <laughs> style. Uh, when we started focusing on IPA in the mid-late 90s with Indian Brown Ale and then 90 Minute in 1999, IPA was not the fastest growing or biggest uh, uh, craft beer style in America, uh, and we think we found a pretty well differentiated and culinary oriented way into the IPA category. I was watching a chef show on TV in 1999. He talked about if he added small pinches of pepper the entire time he simmered the soup instead of that same volume all at once, the flavors of the pepper would be more evenly woven into the taste and aroma of that soup. And I kind of took that philosophy and said, hmm, you know, breweries usually add, you know, a few additions of hops, one early for bitter, one late for aroma. What if I apply what that chef just said to brewing and I got a vibrating football game and took a perforated bucket duct taped it over the game and the vibrating game would let the pellets down the, the game and just by angling the football game over my boil kettle I could control the, the rate of the hops going into the boil uh, for a 90 minute boil and that's how 90 minute IPA was born and how our beers are now continually hopped uh, the IPA so it makes for a beer that's in, in, incredibly hoppy without being crushingly bitter if we added the same volume of hops in the traditional two or three editions it'd be crushingly bitter um, but so we, when we, we've been doing, like I said, beer wine hybrid since 97 with uh, Raison d'Etre. There's a full Brett fermented version on the floor out there uh, tonight. Um, and then after that, we did uh, Noble Rot. Uh, the second beer wine hybrid we did was with my late great friend and dance to Michael Jackson, who visited his brewery in England many times and, and mine. He was one of the earliest proponents of Dogfish Head. He wrote an article in, uh, all about beer that said, stop picking on Dogfish Head. What they're doing has some uh, significant relevance or, you know, historical uh, relevance. Um, and Michael had a rare beer club, and he had he was affiliated with also a rare wine club. And one night, the rare winemakers and the rare beer makers got together at a dinner in, uh, I think, Portland, Oregon. And it was like uh, the super friends of, of drinking and al- alcohol. What's your power? Power of Syrah. And power of wheat beer. Form of an ice sculpture. Um, and I was at a table with a, a Northwest Pinot Noir maker, Michael Jackson, and our wheat beer. And, and I was like, blah, and I put the wine in my wheat beer, and we all drank it. And we were all like, dang. And the next year, we came out with Red and White, which is a big white beer made with uh, Pinot Noir. But this one was me and some friends in Lewis, Delaware, two hours from where we're sitting. And one of our friends from Baltimore couldn't get down there. So we were drinking our 60-minute, and we drank. A, a quarter of it and he was more of a wine drinker he wasn't there so we bought a, a glass of Pinot Noir drank it and kind of for our homies we put an ounce of Pinot Noir in our 60 because he couldn't be there and then we drank it and we're like dang that's good and then we spent a year working on how do we make a hop forward version of 61 with grapes and we started trialing it on our little Sabco with first with Pinot Noir because that's the glass we first put into it didn't work it was clumsy uh Red Zinfandel we tried second, and then finally we found California Syrah, and it worked beautifully. So 61 is 60-minute plus one ingredient, 20% of the fermentables. We make a 5% alcohol, 60-minute, and then we dose in uh, California Syrah, grape must, uh, to bump it back up a little over uh, 6%, which is how it gets its color. So it's hoppy, dry, astringent, both from the hops uh, and uh, from from the grape must.
question. Zope question here. So when are you putting the grape must in? Are you putting that in during fermentation, primer fermentation? Uh, like Dan said, in general, as probably some home brewers out in the room that already know this, but the earlier you add an addition to the brewing process, this is a, a, a stereotype, but it's pretty true. Earlier you add in the brewing process an ingredient, the more it is in the taste of the beer, and the later you add it, uh, the more it's in the aroma, except in the case of ingredients that add fermentable sugars. Uh, they're going to be both in the taste and the aroma, um, mm-hmm. but you do blow off uh, aromatics if you add it uh, in the boil. So for us, we the sweet spot for this particular beer, some of our beers like Noble Rot, which is made with a Botrytis-infected Viognier grape, we do that one in primary fermentation after the yeast has taken off, but for this, we do add the Syrah in the Whirlpool. So post-boil, so you're not boiling off a lot of the, the, the aromatics, but on the hot side, because we do buy this uh, without sulfates from California, and we spend about $80,000 on the tanker truck full of Syrah that comes east, chilled, uh, so that uh, the yeast, the wild yeast that's in the bus doesn't take off as it's in transport. Steve, there's a question here. Hi, Sam. Hello. Good to see you guys again. Good to see you again. Uh, I was curious uh, about what ingredients you tried to brew with that Uncle Sam said uh, no way. Uh, Ingredients that Uncle Sam did not like us brewing with. Um, Let's see. I tried to brew a beer with Wormwood in the late 90s (laughs) before before absence was uh, made legal again. Let's see. Dom fruit from Egypt got held up at a port uh, for uh, about three months and $30,000 when we made Tehanket, an Egyptian beer. Uh, The government didn't like that. Uh, Names, certainly, with the government's been a challenge. We did a beer called uh, Prescription Pills, uh, P-I-L-S. And we did it on draft, and we went to get it approved for the bottle label, they were like, no. Uh, and so I'm like, oh, I was all mad, so this is in the age of faxes. And so I, I, t- I, I, I designed a new label and faxed it off to them, saying, all right, you think prescription pills is crazy, suck on that. Yes. And then, like three days later, we get a fax through a, of an approval for Golden Shower. <laughs> so we, we did that for about six months, and then my wife was like, what are you, like, 14? <laughs> Naming a beer Golden Shower. So out of respect to my wife, uh, we changed that to uh, uh, My Antonia, uh, uh, Imperial Pilsner, we did years ago. But those would be some examples of uh, the struggles we've had with, with the feds. This is why we don't use fanciful names. Yes. <laughs> it's a lot easier. You avoid those moments of frustration. Which can cost you months. Months. And, and, and yeah. oftentimes brewers have already produced their beer, assuming a, a smooth yeah. process on their yeah. approval. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious where in California you source, source your Syrah from. Is it all over or is there yeah. a specific region? We're, we're pretty open about uh, how, how we make our beer. Any brewery in Delaware that wants to use our, our lab, we will open it up to them. And uh, uh, our industry is founded on that. Uh, benevolence and mutual support from the days when Anchor you know, sold their first piece of equipment they outgrew to Sierra Nevada and that's really important to our community but we don't, there are a few things we don't share like uh, our, our yeast regimen on, on very strong beers and, and where we s- source things like that so nice try 
<laughs> I'd love to know the last two or three you put through your two barrel that worked and the last two or three that didn't. Let's get Dan to answer this one because he's enjoying a role where he can spend more of his time throwing shit at the wall <laughs> than two or three years ago. Can you say one recently that was... Went to Memphis? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've had a... <laughs> anybody here from Memphis? Yeah. No. Uh, so we've, we've had a sour program going for um, a number of years but not released anything. Just because. I can't really answer the question why. It felt like it was too gimmicky what was going on and we really wanted to learn more just what was going on. And what scale were those batches when you do those trials? These are 15 barrel batches. So they're, they're pretty good size they're pretty good size batches. So recently we sent two batches of uh, well two and three quarter batches um, sorry one and three quarter batches. One was an Ode Bruin um, and the other uh, was a Flanders Red. Um, and the issue was, and, and this is, I think, a big issue going forward for the production of sour beer, is was acetobacter. Um, acetic acid um, is not necessarily something you want to be drinking unless it's balsamic vinegar. So when I say uh, that we have one and three quarter batches that went down, we kept one quarter in two barrels, and there's three wine barrels that we've sort of put to another side um, because our, our chef... Um, is convinced that in about 10 years it's going to make great raspberry vinaigrette. So, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, just, I think what happened with those two batches is we left them too long. Um, there is, there's a thought process, I think sometimes it goes with barrel-aged beers, spirit barrel-aged beers, and um, with any beer that people put in a barrel, longer the better. Uh, that's definitely not the truth. Um, so I think we're learning, um, you know, about how Acetobacter is produced um, and, and how to avoid, um, uh, how, how to avoid it um, in beer. So basically that's, if you, if, if you taste some sour beers and you taste something that's really acetic, a little fizzy. A little vomity. little, yeah. Right? Um, that's Acetobacter. That's, that's not, they did not intend that to be there, I don't think. Even if they say they did. Yes, no. Um, acetic acid, you know, Medena. If you're in Medena and you're, you're, you're tasting uh, great balsamic vinegar, then, then yeah, Acetobacter, great. But, but not in beer. And I'm not ducking the question we fuck up all the time. <laughs> uh, I'll say one we did years ago was a bl- black and red, which is the last time we, redu- we ever sold an under-attenuated beer. Uh, we did a batch of worldwide stout that didn't get into that 15 to 18% threshold. Usually when that happens, like with 120, we dump batches of 120 every year. Um, we don't advertise it, but Dogfish has a, a six-figure line item in our budget called damaged and dated goods yeah. where a beer that doesn't make it through QC we just dump so we're dumping beers all the time but one time four or five years ago we did a version of Worldwide that didn't go as far as it should have yeah. we added raspberries to it to see if we can get the yeast going again it got, didn't really get going and then we added mint to it and tried to send it, sell it as like a dessert mint yeah. fucking pudding something or other yeah. uh, really thick under attenuated so that was a, that was a mistake and there's a, there, you know, that's one of the, one of my sort of pet peeves coming from Britain, is 
that a lot of American strong stouts are very under attenuated. Yep. And people have gotten used to this kind of motor oil in, in an imperial stout and think that that's the way they're supposed to be and that's great. And it's just like, no, that's an under attenuated beer. Yep. Um, and so we make an imperial stout, it's fully attenuated and people sort of try it and go, that's very nice, but it needs to be, it's not as thick and chewy as XYZ. And I'm, I'm like, well, yeah, because it's like the right way, you know. And, but it you really must endear you to people. Yeah, it's like I it. don't, I don't, I just, I just say, yeah, it's just, it's just different, and it's a lot easier, and you just sort of go on. Should we do one more, and then yeah. we got to stay on, on and do, do, oh, we'll yeah, do we have the next beer? beer. Uh, a quick, it seems like um, the market is out there going craft beer, craft beer, craft mm-hmm. beer, and you guys are going craft brewing craft brewing, you know, because they're, obviously the definition is shifting. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is that something that you see, how do you see that changing, you know, from just saying craft beer and people thinking that there's a set of styles and, you know, we need to explain what you're drinking by the style versus, <clears throat> you know, how you need to promote these uh, beers, these brews that you're doing uh, that are really non-traditional or historic or they don't really fit the categorical styles that are out there. You know, how is that coming to market now? You know, I don't, I don't worry so much about that. I mean, the amazing beers that are on the floor in this next room are an awesome example of yeah. that. There are so many beers out there that are outside of traditional militant stylistic guidelines. My bigger concern, frankly, is you know, quality, consistency, being well differentiated with two breweries opening every day. We need breweries to pay pay attention to all three of those stools. And then my other big concern is, you know, walking here today, I saw a sign for uh, Goose Island sign at our place that said, uh, come on in, our hot dogs are $4 and our pints of IPA are $3. And for a true indie craft brewery to sell kegs at a price, uh, that we, it's not sustainable. So the definition of a craft brewery to me is part of why I believe very much in the PA's definition of an indie small craft brewery because if the world's two biggest breweries figure out how to be all things to all people, an event like Savor would never exist. Um, let's talk a little bit about this beer because I think the fourth beer is also on the yeah. way. So... Um, if you remember back to the first beer, um, Lazy Ballerina, this is the wild version of that. So this was unsulfited must. Okay, and the grapes had it. it we didn't get as much color um, because uh, we the great the the grapes had already been pressed out. Um, but because and that was the sort of part that was unsulfited that we could get a hold of. So we got, this is a very small amount. We made 120 gallons of this. So the five-gallon keg that's back there is five gallons of the 120. So two wine barrels worth of this. So we fermented this in the barrel. Same wort, um, but we didn't add any yeast to this because in an unsulfided must, we're picking up all the wild yeast and bacteria that came in um, on those grape skins. Wild Lazy Ballerina. Okay? So exactly the same, you know, 20% grape must, 80% grain, but no Saison yeast. So essentially you have Lazy Ballerina Saison, and now you have Wild Lazy Ballerina, which is essentially 
you've got both wild yeast here, but you've also got lactobacillus that came in on those grape skins. So what we did was we took, we took this, the, it was an experiment, and we wanted to see what came in on the grape skins. So we took it, you know, once we finished the fermentation, went to the lab with it, plated it, um, used a process whereby we can identify the different bacteria or wild yeast that are present. Um, and we've kept it as a culture that we could now pitch into a larger batch of beer. So this is essentially the same fermentation, just a different set of bugs doing the fermentation. Um, so Brett, a lot of t- couple of different varieties of Brett came in on those grape skins, and also lactobacillus. I'm just curious, did you bottle this? And, and no. Okay. I'll we have it. two wine barrels. We pulled off. We've been sort of pulling the nail on one of them and drinking it because it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we call that the angels share, because um, we're all brewing angels. And uh, then um, what we did was we took the one barrel, the second barrel, and now what we've done is we've split that into four wine barrels, topped them up with fresh wort. Okay, so we're, we're, part of what you're doing when you're making these sort of, when people talk about sour beers and wild beers, you can either buy in commercial strains of lacto or wild yeast, or you can kind of make your own. And that's what we're experimenting with. So we pulled in grapes, the chamberson. We pulled in persimmons and ginkgo berries last fall. And we've got barrels of all those going. Um, and I've identified those cultures. And we've just made our first batch of beer off the persimmon um, barrel. So we took that, used that as a culture, pitched that into a second 15. So that'll be an American sour ale with persimmons. Sorry. Really not a question. Just I was, that answered it. I was looking forward to having this hopefully in the future. That's all. That first, hopefully this might get bottled the, or something like that. The first one got bottled, to be yeah. clear. The first one, the first one that we, we, we produced, 15 barrels, we were able to bottle 150 cases. This we've got um, essentially two barrels worth. At the moment, but we—you're really what you're tasting here is the yeast culture. Um, now we've, you know, we pulled it off. Um, we pulled it from more the top of the barrel. There's more sort of sediment at the bottom. Um, so through the top bung of the wine barrel. Yeah. Sam, you want to go ahead and talk about the last beer, yeah. and then we'll save the rest okay. of the questions yeah. for that, sure. so we make sure we get yeah. through everything so everybody I'll be, wants I'll to know. I'll be brief on this one. Uh, so uh, this is one that we do in our Ancient Ale series. Our best-selling beer wine hybrid is our Midas Touch, uh, which is also the best-selling mead or honey-based uh, beer in America. Uh, our second best is 61. Chateaus, uh, we just make once a year, like four or 500 barrels of it. Um, and, uh, but it is really significant in that it is the oldest known fermented beverage in the history of uh, civilization. So like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's from about 10,000 years ago. And for context, that is the era when humans were shifting from hunting and gathering individuals into uh, settling down in villages to, to grow grains. No one knows if it was primarily for bread or primarily uh, for beer. Obviously, as brewers, we have our own beliefs. Um, <laughs> 
but uh, beer truly is as old as civilization itself. And what's really significant about this finding is it shows that uh, as early as humans were making fermented beverages, they were making them from hybrid, uh, multi-source fermentable sugars. The uh, there's residue found in the crockery in this tomb of the Jiahu province that shows the presence of rice, honey, and grapes, um, and hawthorn fruit as well, which is sort of like pomegranate, a tart fruit. Um, so uh, we wanted to bring this beer back to life, uh, working with the molecular archaeologists. Uh, and uh, the biggest liberty that we take with this beer is we do a single strain of yeast. Because again, that era of, of, of Reinheitsgebot, you also have to think of the era of Louis Pasteur and us knowing as humans what a sterile environment is and recognize that that's relatively modern as well. So for the vast majority of our brewing history as humans, we were making what are essentially modern lambics around the world because they're much like what Dan did with the last beer. You're, you're relying on natural yeast in its environment to be the catalyst uh, for fermentation, which is why I think brewers did hybrid drinks back then because they were like, you know, I want to see the gods. I don't want to spend this energy and not do it. So fuck it. I'll put some raisins in there. I'll put some. And one of these things is going to have the magic on it because that's what it's. It, it was. It was alchemy as much as it was science back then. And the more stuff that had sweet, white, moldy crap growing on it, the better chances that you would see the gods if you threw it into what you were uh, what you were brewing. Uh, and this and Jiahu is sort of the OG beverage of, of that hybrid uh, experience. Um, I was hoping that you could uh, speak a little bit more about your experiences doing uh, mead beer hybrids. Uh, you have to yeah. age them. Kind of mead needs to be aged a little bit. Yeah. I bet Dan has some stories on that. Com- <laughs> coming from from England uh, is his time there, yeah. and obviously a lot of awesome medieval uh, work with with honey happened over there. Uh, honey weird people, and and what with weird people? <laughs> weird folks. Right. Right. <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah. So we brew with about five different kinds of honey in our brewery. Uh, we have come visit our brewery uh, in, in Milton. It's a beautiful tour. Visit Schlafly, Dan and his crew uh, hosted us as the BA board uh, two years ago. Amazing brewery. But at ours, we have a, a basically a building that has... Uh, tentacles that come off of it and whatever that container has if it has grains, one tentacle takes the grains into a silo if it has grape must or honey another tentacle takes that into a a holding tank and in our brewery we have holding tanks of uh, raw Ethiopian honey that still has chunks of bees in it uh, for our our bitches brew Uh, we have uh, a dark honey uh, from buckwheat honey from Ohio for our uh, Tweezanale, our gluten-free beer. Uh, and then we have a lot of thyme and wildflower honey uh, for, for Midas and for Gia. I plan on adopting the term uh, sent to Memphis, so I was hoping you could explain it so I can speak more intelligently about it uh, when people ask me. That's you. How do, how do you describe the term, I sent it to Memphis? How do I describe that term? What does that mean? What, what does it mean, I sent it to Memphis? Yeah. Oh, well, if you think about the, the Mississippi River, you know, it, it flows from St. Louis to Memphis. So when you send things to Memphis from St. Louis, you, 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 you put them down the drain. <laughs> it's a term that we, you know, we love Memphians. You know, they're, 
They sent it to New Orleans. <laughs> What's the last city in that uh, river as you had said? Because they get every, every, everything no one wants. What's the last city down there? I think it's somewhere in Mexico, probably. <laughs> We sent it Someone, to Corona. We sent it to, we sent oh, it to the no. government. No, oh, no, no, no. He, he said that. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. No. The one thing we're blessed with in St. Louis, one of the great things about St. Louis, so St. Louis was the largest brewing center in the United States at the turn of the last century. Um, and one of the, that's the reason so many breweries were based. So there were, at uh, the time of Prohibition, there were 40 breweries in, just in the city of St. Louis alone. The city itself is very small. Cities older than the state. The, the 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 number of square miles of St. Louis is one of the smallest major cities in the United States. Um, but uh, it has a cave system um, that allowed for underground storage of beer before refrigeration, and then also it has a tremendous water source. Um, so we're at the convergence of the Mississippi and the Missouri, um, and uh, it's 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 an absolutely brilliant water source um, right at that the water's taken right at the confluence uh, and it, it's just fantastic so we're you know when uh, when the rest <laughs> when the rest of the country runs out of water you'll all be living in St. Louis so. um, but uh, yeah Steve you got a question back there yeah um, based on what I've heard and what you guys have been talking about on some of the wild beers and some of the uh, I'm guessing you guys have a, a pretty healthy uh, uh, a chemistry lab that you're keeping track of a lot of your different uh, uh, bugs that you're throwing in your beers. You're talking to myself or Sam? I, I'm talking both? to actually both of you guys because you, you know you're from a from a uh, right. from a yeast and a bug standpoint. Right. You're both crazy. So, um, so yeah, it. So we have a very sort of robust lab program. Um, it really helped coming from um, a sizable brewery in Europe because it was. I realized, I mean, I knew from that experience that a lab staff was critical, and I worked in the lab in Young's as a trainee. And um, part of the development of our lab program was a minus 40 freezer um, so that we could store our own yeast strains. And the first time we needed to get that um, was right after Tom Schlafly's wedding um, in the late 1990s. Um, I was uh, married... Uh, at the time already to my wife who's from Scotland and we were in Scotland traveled to Cologne, Germany to Cologne and um, uh, Tom was marrying a girl from Cologne and I got hooked up at that wedding not with uh, another girl because I'm married but I did get hooked up with a yeast strain um, and needed <laughs> so I was very very fortunate so I'm sitting you know you know when you go to a wedding and you walk through the church and they go bridegroom and this is in German right so bridegroom I understood that so I'm I but I didn't really understand it because I ended up sitting on the bride side and I'm sitting next to a pretty stock you know pretty German looking German and um, I said hi my name's Dan I'm a, a brewer from St. Louis um, and he said hi my name's Heinrich I'm a brewer from Cologne and that was Heinrich Becker um, their family owns the Gaffel Brewery um, and, and I think we were the first brewer in the United States to produce Kolsch. Um, but when Heinrich sent that, you know, we got a FedEx a couple of uh, weeks later, a uh, couple of kegs of, of the Gaffel yeast. And the, the agreement that, you know, and we, we did put it in writing because we thought it was really important, is we just wouldn't share this yeast strain. 
because um, the the cone brewers have been trying for years to get a sort of if well right now we couldn't if you're a brewer in the European community you can only call Kolsch Kolsch if you're in Cologne so we can call Kolsch Kolsch because we're not in the EC but we couldn't sell our Kolsch anywhere in the EC um, and so we bought the freezer to store to plate and culture and store this yeast and since then we've been fortunate to acquire a library full of different yeast strains and different bugs. So it's a huge part. It's an extra person. So we're a 60,000 barrel brewer, which is not particularly large. You know, We've got a staff of four, almost five on our, our lab side, which is... The fifth one's really short. <laughs> almost five, when I say, yeah. The, the, yeah, he's, he's actually pretty short, yeah. <laughs> And, and we, we, we're, you know, we're really proud of our uh, QC lab. We have more tank capacity in our yeast area now than our brewery had the first seven years it was open. So we have seven sort of yeast-growing pods uh, that the beer comes through, and the, our automation tells it pick up X million yeast cells of this yeast we found on a date farm in Cairo or yeah. a peach farm in Delaware and we're, we're, we're librarying our own yeast strains in our building and growing them ourselves so it's a, a really fun part of what we do okay, so one other question you, you kind of piqued my interest on the water part Sorry. So when, when you start pulling water at the confluence? Yes. I mean, I'm assuming you get right smack in the middle of there. Do so you, the water authority, yeah, the yes, city of St. Right. Louis. So you're pulling from you're pulling from the city, right? You're pulling yeah. from the city water process. Um, and and uh, what about what about you guys over at? Um, uh, we have a deep water well in okay. in Delaware. Our water's great, except we have a ton of chickens in our area. Okay. So uh, you get a little extra nitrate rich. So yeah. our our filtrations about removing nitrates, everything else in our water is great. Okay, so you both do a big a, a large amount of uh, uh, filtration on your no, beer. No, we don't. You just, we don't have to. But bear water. in mind, you know, no matter what you think about that other brewer in St. Louis, water is very important to them. So they have a full time staff at the water treatment plant. And we get a, a daily water report. Um, it's really quite funny because it has an A and Eagle on it. <laughs> but it's like, and we used to get it on a fax machine, and now we just, you know, it just gets emailed over. Um, but uh, yeah, we get a daily water report. All right, well, folks, uh, I have a feeling that we could pepper these guys with questions and get very uh, educational and entertaining answers all <laughs> night long. But there will be a, another salon coming up in this room and not too far. So please join me in thanking our speakers tonight. Thank you, Thank you for listening to this recording from Savor 2015, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. You can find the rest of the salons from Savor 2015, as well as all of the salons from previous years of Savor, at craftbeerradio.com savor or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com.